This morning, my, I find my mind in two different places. Here, in front of you, and graciously, you're, you're here this morning. Thank you for all coming, but my, my mind is also in a hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. Our oldest daughter, Stephanie, has been very ill for this past week. Lord willing, she'll be able to come home to Pittsburgh today, a nine-hour drive or ride that she has to endure in order to be, again, engaged in another hospital in Pittsburgh. I would ask for your prayers for her and her husband, Rob, as they travel nine hours from St. Louis to Pittsburgh, and then for the doctor's wisdom that she may be very well be facing surgery this coming week for a, a symptom of diverticulitis that has left her very, very ill, in fact, so ill that um, some poison has entered her system through her colon. So we would appreciate your prayers. I also received uh, a note from one of our beloved missionaries, the Overholtzes. Let me read for you their prayer request that they have for us. It says, Ada and I are in Malaysia with paperwork for renewing our visas, which then allows us to get a work permit in Yala, Thailand. The Thailand consulate staff at Penang are asking for two more documents that we can, cannot get in a short period of time. We've been doing this for 20 years, and this is the first. Our sponsor in Thailand and local school director is shocked. She called the Thai Department of, Infor of Informal Education. They said we don't need the document. Nothing on their website either that we, should, we could find. They're asking for police clearances from both the United States and Thailand. Long story, but our plan is to take an eight-hour bus ride to another consulate in Kota Baru to submit the same documents and get our visas. Two months ago, a different teacher didn't need the clearances and was given the visa no problem. Pray that they accept our stack of documents and do not make this an issue. Since we have mostly lived the past 32 years in Southeast Asia, I'm not sure how to get a police clearance from anywhere in the United States. But we will deal with that one later. So please pray, and we will let you know the results by this Tuesday. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, when we are weak, then you are strong. And we stand this morning in front of this wonderful people with a heart that is wondering about our daughter. Her voice, as we spoke with her this week, was laced with pain and discomfort. 
sickness that she does not expect invaded her life and yet the the answer to that sickness they're not yet sure what to do I pray God that if it be your will that Stephanie would be well enough to travel the nine hours back to Pittsburgh where she may very well be connected with physicians that specialize in the field of study that she presently is experiencing. And may you direct their, high, their hands and their minds and bring about, Lord, a healing. If surgery is the answer, then, Lord, we pray for the surgeon. We ask for healing in the process that, that Stephanie will have to go through. I pray for her her husband Rob and their children, Ashley and Alyssa, as they too are waiting on your hand to move in their midst. And through this experience, Lord, I pray that you would draw them closer to you, that they would, O oh Lord, be renewed day by day, moment by moment, by the presence of your Spirit, and that they would see your mighty hand that may very well impact their lives again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're there. We thank you that you, that there's nothing that comes our way that is not known by you. Nothing comes our way by which you don't permit it to happen. And for some reason, oh Lord God, you have allowed this to be a part of our daughter and son-in-law and our two grandchildren's lives. And I ask, Lord, that your glory would, be, would shine through. I pray, O oh Lord God, that you would strengthen them. And that, Lord, as they, Stephanie and Rob, as they travel nine hours back, I pray for, for mercies of road travel. And also for the ability of Stephanie to be able to withstand the ride. We remember, too, Lord, our missionaries, the Overholtzes, as things in their lives have invaded documents that they have no way of being able to process them or even present them in a short manner so i pray O oh lord god as they they too take an eight-hour bus tried to go to another consulate i pray lord that you would prepare the way and allow for the visas that they need to continue their ministry there in thailand I pray, O oh God, that you would secure them for them. And even as they are riding on the bus, O oh Lord, I, I suspect that they will have opportunities to share the gospel with those who are sitting next to them, with those who are around them. And this trip, though they look at it as being something of a nuisance, may be very well in a point of time where they must meet somebody to tell them about Jesus Christ. And so, God, I thank you that you'll watch over them and protect them and bless them, Lord God, in your work and in your ministry. As well as your word this morning, our Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever you have told us. 
as we look again into this book of Galatians, I, I ask, O oh Lord God, that the familiarity of the passage will not cause us to slumber in our spiritual walk. I pray, O oh God, that you would help us to speak clearly, to strengthen us, Lord God, even in a divided heart. Let us, O oh Lord God, speak your truth in love. And that which we lack, I pray, O oh God, that you would empower the things that we may have already forgotten. I pray that you would bring them back to memory. And may you, through the presence of your Spirit, guide and uphold this service for your honor and glory. May all of that, has, may all of that which has affected us this past week be a reminder, Lord God, that we must fall on your grace every day. And may you, O oh Lord, receive the honor and the glory and the power both now and forevermore. For it is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We're about to embark on the next two chapters of the book of Galatians in a realm that I love to study. I love to study doctrine. I love the progression of it. I love the development of it. And I love to have the presentation of doctrine. In fact, in chapter 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul engages the church at Galatia with six different arguments for the doctrine position of justification by faith. Now, I trust that this morning in the presentation of justification by faith that it won't be so boring that you will nod off. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Not the amen that you'll nod off, but that I'll hopefully hold your interest. But it is a very valuable and, and very crucial doctrine position especially in dealing with the different world views of how is it that one can go to heaven. The arguments are as vague as a mist on the mountain, but yet I'm thankful for the word of God that stands forever and one jot or one tittle of it will not pass away. And in it, in the word of God, we can see this wonderful presentation that the Apostle Paul gives in a personal argument with the people. He, he wants to remind them of something. I carry with me this morning a, a memento of reminders. You can't see it. That's a simple coin that has a hole in the middle of it. At one time, this could get you a ride on the subway system of New York City. No longer do they use subway coins. They have cards that you swipe. So this is something that if I keep for the next 300 years might be worth something. But in it, this is what we had to use when the number of trips that I took with teenagers in New York City as we shared the gospel in different locales of the city. 
This was a leftover from my last trip. And so I kept it as a reminder of the people that I had the privilege of being able to meet and sit down next to and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a memento that reminds me of why we're here. It's personal in many ways. In fact, you, you can't even use this anymore in the subway system of New York City. The Apostle Paul draws the people of Galatia into a personal remembrance. In fact, in verse 1, he starts it out with a pretty interesting statement when he said, Oh, foolish Galatians. I know that there's a place in the scripture where it says that we're not supposed to call people fools, and he didn't. He just referred to their actions of being foolish, if you will. But notice what he draws their attention to to remind them in verse 1 for it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. That's the remembrance. He is drawing them back to the Apostle Paul is resurging in them the sense of, if, if you will, and bringing them back to that moment and to that time of when the gospel was preached to them and they placed their faith and trust in that gospel of Jesus Christ. Something has bewitched them. The, the Greek word literally means cast on them some kind of magical, if you will, current of void. They've been fooled. Thus he uses the word foolish. Who has bewitched you? And that's the argument that we look at because our faith in Jesus Christ rises and falls on the issue that we're going to address this morning. The Apostle Paul, in verses 2 through 5, lists four questions that he asks them. The first question is this. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? How did you receive the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? There's an interesting ingredient in the realm of rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions give you the answer that you don't have to answer. My dad, when I was growing up, when I would do something foolish, he would say, are you dumb or what? Didn't have to answer the question because the answer was in the question. Or when you go to take a, a sip of coffee that someone has prepared for you and you already have told them that how many sugar and cream you want in there, 
and you take a sip of it and, and you ask them, did you put three sugar in here? Rhetorical questions. The Apostle Paul says, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it by works or was it by faith? In other words, he's asking, how were you justified? I did a, a presentation from this pulpit all a number of years ago when I tried to describe for you all the three phases of what we call salvation in Jesus Christ. You have justification, sanctification, and glorification. And don't get them mixed up. Justification is not the same as sanctification, as sanctification is not the same as glorification. You can't put them only under a heading called salvation by which we are saved, but you cannot put them all in the same basket. They are separate in and of themselves, but they lead to one common goal. That's going to heaven. So the Apostle Paul in his first rhetorical question is, how is it that you were justified? The term justification is interesting in and of itself because it is a judicial word. It is a declaration of God, from God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, whereby when an individual by faith believes in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that individual is declared not guilty by God. Someone ought to say amen. <laughs> to think that we are taken from the realm of being an enemy of God now to the realm of being a son or daughter of God. Ones who were, we were empty and nothing good in on of us, all of a sudden now, we stand as children of the king, endowed, if you will, of all the blessings of heaven. Justified. It is a one-time decision of God. It's not based upon any works which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It is by openly and wonderfully, by choice, to make a choice of saying, yes, I believe that what Jesus Christ did for me was good enough that I can be saved. The question arises, though, what is faith? If we're justified by faith, then what is faith? You all unknowingly gave yourself the best illustration of what faith is. You walked into the church and habitually many of you sat in the same place that you normally sit in. We got Delbert and Faye, third row on the right. We got Terry and Barb, third row on the left. Habitually, we, we go there and we just sit. But I didn't recognize any of you 
looking to see if maybe Pastor Isaac, in one of his weaker moments, sawed the legs off in the pew, and you didn't know it. You didn't do that, brother. I just had to use you as an illustration. You just went into that row and sat down. In fact, you trusted that pew was made to hold you. You didn't add anything to it. None of you brought a jack, a hydraulic jack, and made sure that you jacked the pew up so it wouldn't fall. None of you did that. You didn't add anything to it. All you did is you placed your trust in it. That's what faith is. Faith in Jesus Christ to be justified, declared not guilty by God, is nothing more than you just placing yourself in the finished work of Jesus Christ and trusting that what he did was good enough. In fact, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he paid it all, the songwriter says, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Justification. The Apostle Paul says, in what way was it that you were justified? Were you justified by faith or were you justified by works? And I've talked to a number of people who are trying to get justified by works. And they say things like this, well, I hope my good works outweigh my bad works. And you've heard that argument before. I had a Jehovah Witness come up to the front door of the parsonage one day. I love that. Because now they are in my territory. And with the lady that was there, accompanied by a younger lady, began the conversation of being saved, I said to them, yes, how is it that you are saved? Justified by faith alone. The Apostle Paul wants to make sure as he draws them together again, if you will, having that subway token with a hole in it. Do you remember when the gospel was preached to you how you reacted to it and you trusted in the only one who could save you? How is it now that you've been bewitched? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works or by faith? What's interesting, though, as Paul later in, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, outlines for us when it is an individual receives the Holy Spirit of promise, it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The moment an individual places their trust in Jesus Christ alone, something dramatically happens to that person. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in the person's heart. 
Now you have what is called in the scriptures a new nature. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. In the process, if you will, in the moment of justification, God not only declares us not guilty, but he also bestows upon us all of the blessings yet to be received as our final goal is heaven. Here in this, cha- in this verse, Paul is not doubting their salvation. He's not questioning it. But he is asking them to think about the truth of their salvation. The second question that the Apostle Paul writes is this. How will you be sanctified? He writes it a little bit differently. He says, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit and are now being made perfect by the flesh? How are you going to be sanctified? Sanctification is a lifelong process. I don't care how old you are or how new you are in the family of God, you never stop the process of sanctification. Let me rephrase that. You should never stop the process of sanctification because the process of sanctification is described in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It is a lifelong pursuit. It is a day-by-day decision that falls upon us of who is it that I am going to follow today. Is it going to be the works of the world, the world system, or am I going to follow Jesus Christ by faith? There are four places in Scripture that highlight how we are to walk in sanctification. The first one appears in Habakkuk chapter 2. And the phrase is this, the just shall live by faith. It's repeated again by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, where he says the same exact phrase, the just shall live by faith. Is it once again in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, the just shall live by faith. And then lastly, in Hebrews chapter 13, and in verse 38, you finish what it says there. The just shall live by faith. We are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by faith. I had an interesting conversation with an individual Oh, two or three weeks ago, when he was sharing with me the struggle that he has in letting go of certain things of his life. 
And he asked me, does God hear my prayers or not? And I said, well, that depends. First of all, do you belong to him? And secondly, what's in your heart? A psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. What's in your heart? And he began to explain his battle that he'd have with certain elements of this world. And I said, you're asking God the wrong question. God is not going to give you any more than what he has already given you. What you're seeking, he has already supplied. What do you mean by that, Pastor Doug? I turn to Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, according to the power that worketh in us. You want to stop that? Then why don't you assess yourself by faith to the power that God has already placed in you? You want to be able to say no to that sin? Then you must fall on the spear of faith and equate, if you will, to the situation, the power that already worketh in you. And here is the power that worketh in you, the Holy Spirit. You can be set free. And the Apostle Paul is saying to these people, how is it that you're going to grow in Christ when you have turned yourselves away from him and begun to follow works that gain nothing with God? How do you plan on doing that? I love bookstores. Certain sections of bookstores, I should say. Most of the bookstores I go to are sanctified. Can I get an amen? Mm -hmm. And I go to the bookshelves, and they are lined with books on how to do this, how to do that, how to do this, and they can be summed up in one thing, by faith in Jesus Christ. It is by faith We have been justified. It is by faith that we walk and are sanctified to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul's question is very good. But that does give us another question. Well, what about our works? Works can't save us. So what part do good works have in the sanctification process? I'm glad someone asked that question. Turn with me to the book of James. The book of James. Book of James, chapter 2. We'll not read all of the verses, but in James chapter 2, verses 14 to verse 26, you have a heading there, if you have a Bible like mine, that says, faith without works is dead. What is 
James talking about? Let me draw your attention to a couple of statements. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. That is the key. That's the key. What process do works have in the, sal- in the sanctification process of our salvation? It is this, to prove our faith. Our works are to prove one thing and one thing only. They are to prove our faith in Jesus Christ. James goes on to say that if you have no works, then is your faith dead? Now that word dead there does not mean the individual is lost. It literally means the individual, and I say this kindly, is of no use to God. You're an embarrassment to God for what he has done for you. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, how is it that you expect to grow in Jesus Christ if you have forsaken the faith and began to pursue works that'll get you nowhere. Third question. This is a difficult one. Did you suffer in vain? If you haven't figured it out yet, you will. But Christian life is not just a walk through a rose garden. Can someone help me with an amen? There are moments of suffering. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, brother, you'll get there one of these Sundays when I'm away, and you'll, you will be blessed by what he has to say in Philippians 3. But in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And here's the next line, with the fellowship of his sufferings. We live and move in a realm of whereby we do suffer for our faith. Have you been paying attention to the news lately. There are stirrings, if you will, of making sure that the truths of biblical Christianity are no longer allowed to be propagated on such things as Facebook. Twitter. Twitter. 
And do you recognize that someday, if a certain political party, I won't tell you which one it is, but it begins with a D, if they fully get in power and begin to change the society in which we live from a capitalistic to a socialistic form of government, this will be illegal. We will suffer. Jesus Christ to his disciples says, don't be astonished, don't be amazed. They hated me, they're going to hate you. An individual wrote, and I've quoted it before, that the further a, a society gets from the truths of the gospel, the more they will hate those who speak it. We will suffer. Some of you already are. And so the Apostle Paul says, all the sufferings you went through for the gospel of Jesus Christ, are you now putting them on a back burner to say the claims of the gospel are no longer what they used to be? Are you going to follow a system or are you going to stand for the Savior? That's the key. Did you suffer in vain? And lastly, on what basis did God perform miracles? On what basis did he do that? Our time doesn't allow me to fully develop this, but write this passage down. Acts chapter 14, verses 3, and then go to verse 8 through 11. And you will see the many miracles that were performed in the region of Galatia, in fact, in the city of Antioch. And it is there that it states that the miracles were done to prove the validity of the gospel. The answer to all four of these questions is still only one word. It is faith. We're justified by faith. We are sanctified by faith. We suffer because of faith. And the greatest miracle of all was performed in your life when by faith you trusted Jesus Christ. That's the proof of the gospel. The conclusion is this. How would you have answered these questions from Paul? Was there a time in your life when you, by simple trust, placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your only hope of eternal life? Can you remember the time? You don't need to be specific as far as the, the day or the hour, but can you remember a time in your life when you just simply said to Jesus Christ, Forgive me, for I'm a sinner. And I trust in you and you alone for my only hope of eternal life. If you have done that, praise God. 
But if you have not, if you can't remember, if you can't think of a moment in time, and maybe you're even thinking of developing your salvation on something else other than faith, I beg of you, don't leave today without at least asking me or Pastor Isaac, one of the church leaders' teams, to say, how is it that I can have eternal life? Here's my next question. For those of you that have trusted Christ, has your faith become stale? Is it just something that I have? I have fire insurance. I'm okay. No. The Word of God wants you to go deeper than that. The Word of God wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Are you walking in that? Or are you putting faith aside and following after a system? I trust not. If any have questions this morning, please, I beg of you, seek out Pastor, Ober, or Pastor Isaac or myself, and we would love to share with you the truths of what God has to say his word let's pray together heavenly father in closing the service may end but your call never does would there be someone here today who needs to come close to you all they have to do is trust all they have to do is ask Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He who has the Son has life. These things are written that you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Your word oozes forth the call to our hearts. May you, Lord, work today in people's hearts as you see fit by your Spirit. Draw them to yourself, O Lord, today. Amen.